Well, Merry Christmas and Happy Advent to all the Full Life family out there. Yes, this is our big Christmas finale for Season 2, 2021. And as we wait and prepare for the birth of our Savior, the light coming into the world, we're doing a show just on that. The light. The light that we are, the light that Christ is, and the light that led to Christ that night. Don't go away. It's a fun show ahead. Bible says in Matthew 5, 14, yes. that we are to be light. Uh, verse 13 says we are to be salt. salt. And then in verse 16 mm -hmm. said that, let our light so shine so that God will be glorified. And how yes. do God get the glory? When we exemplify Christ in us. In Isaiah 60, it says, arise, shine, for the light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people. Right now in this pandemic season, not only in America, but in the world, there's darkness, there's thick darkness that's in this world now. And, and we are that light that can, can show people, navigate them out of that, what, that, that, that darkness, what they're in, mm -hmm. so they will not stumble and it's all about drawing people to know that's it. That's it. our personal savior yes. who is able to help us in the most difficult of difficult situations time. in the yeah. most difficult season knowing that he is with us and you know that he will never and never. has never left us nor will he ever forsake us so really uh, allowing the light of our living savior to reflect out of us so that people can be drawn you know to what's upon our life, yes. the anointing, yes, yes. and we can really have an opportunity to share about Jesus Christ, the living Savior. And those who don't know Him, will come they will him. come and accept Him. Yeah. Part B of that says that they will come to know Him. Yeah. And they were they, they will be converted. converted. They yes. will be converted to yeah. Him. And so that's They're basically beautiful. basically what Christmas or uh, what the season yes. means to me and Pastor Karen. And we just want to be that light, yeah. that lighthouse. Expression of, yes. of the love of Christ. Yes. Merry Christmas. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive. Sound. 
Well, of course, everyone, that was Derek North, who had joined us earlier in this season and shared with us his beautiful story, Overcoming Cancer, and also his new music that God has blessed him so prolifically after this, after his, his battle with cancer. And we're so happy he's back because he's premiering his new Christmas album this year. So thank you so much for helping us celebrate the season, Derek. It's a real joy to see you guys. It's a real joy to spend this season together. So tell us a little bit about the album and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I'm a worship pastor and have been for quite a long time. So that means I've done a lot of worship services and I've really played in churches since I was 14. It just seems like it's a bucket list item to have a Christmas album. And so uh, I took um, eight or nine arrangements that I really like of these Christmas carols and I put them together. Funny thing is I recorded it um, like Christmas of 2019 right there, crossing over to 2020 not knowing there was a pandemic coming and I did the whole thing and then the whole thing got postponed because we couldn't get it ready with COVID for Christmas of 2020. Sure. Uh, so, you know, there's a real, there's a time window. <laughs> and so we had to push it back, but now it's coming out uh, for Christmas 2021 and it's called the Advent of our God. It's streaming uh, on every music streaming platform, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, shoot, it's on TikTok, <laughs> you know, it's everywhere. Uh, and if you're old school and you want CDs, I have CDs and uh, you can contact me, email me or whatever, and I can I can ship you a CD. Hey, Christmas is coming, as we know. So Derek's album will make a good gift, as well as a lot of our guests stuff that we'll talk about. But we started the show talking about is the concept of light. We all know that the light, the star, led the wise men to Jesus that night on Christmas, or a couple of days later, of course, they followed the star to him. Um, and we wanted to really talk about that concept of light and how we are now those lights that bring people to Jesus in the same way. First of all, hello everyone and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I feel like we need to break into It's the Most Wonderful time. I keep telling you guys, not all of us can sing. You know? <laughs> no, you are our spoken word artist, remember? That's right, I will do spoken word, that's right. As we stop and reflect during that Advent season, you know, I wanted to pit, talk about the uh, that idea of light. And so I'll start going around it. You know, first, are there examples in the Bible or in your ministry, in, in your life that you've that have really been impactful lights for you? And then what are your reflections on being a light this Christmas season and into the new year? You know, I, I think for all of us, I think for me, the light is just the hope of Christ. I think it's the hope that we get through Jesus, that there's nothing. I was back Sunday morning, I was 
getting ready to go worship and I, I was just opening the word and I, I, I looked up first Peter, I think it's first Peter seven. And it was saying that your faith is more precious than gold. And it hit me so hard because we're living in a day and age where everybody wants to put our faith in our homes, our cars, our possessions, our bank accounts, our all these things. But the Bible says that our faith is more precious than gold. And our faith really is only found in Jesus Christ. And that is what Christmas is all about. It's the hope. It's the light. And uh, I think for me, it's just that time of year just to bring it back and to refocus ourselves. I mean, I think we all try to do that all year. I think that's what this show is about is just bringing us back. But I think that's what we need to take to the world right now. I've never seen and spoke with so many people that they just need that hope and that light. And that's what we get to be, the hands and feet of Jesus. So, Amen. Thank you, Carolyn. Jenny, how about you? Well, of course, I think most of you on the show are going to know where I go with this. <laughs> that is obviously Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the festival of lights. And I don't think people realize that Hanukkah is actually in the Bible. People don't think Christmas isn't in the Bible, but Hanukkah is. It, it, it's the feast of dedication. The word Hanukkah means dedication. And in John chapter 10, verse 22, it says, at the feast of dedication, that Yeshua was walking in Solomon's portico. And this is the time that's interesting that the, the rabbis came to him and said, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? And he says, I and my father are one. He makes the most bold declaration on Hanukkah, the festival of light, which is quite amazing when you uh, think about when John talked about the light, this light came into the world and the world did not perceive it. He is the light of the world. So we know that he's the light of the world. We know that he told us though, that you are the light of the world. That's what's such an incredible verse to me, that he is called the light of the world, but then says that we are the light of the world. And, and of course, you know, you're the light of the world, the city a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Don't hide your lamp, right? He says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, with, And that's Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 5. And what's beautiful about that is with Hanukkah, when you light the Hanukkah or the menorah and you light a candle every night, you're supposed to put that light, not just in your house, that light is supposed to go in your window. And it's supposed to show everyone outside that you are dedicating yourself because Hanukkah means dedication. So you light the light and you show it to others to prove, to show them that you are dedicated. And my gosh, like goes back to what Carolyn said, really what comes down to it is Jesus is the light of the world that came into a dark places on the land of the, you know, where there was darkness, uh, a light has shined, right? And, and really that light is not just in a physical land, but is in our eternal and in internal homes. And so what a beautiful way to let that light shine, uh, to remember that. Yeah, no, I think for me specifically this year, I'm thinking of Simeon and Anna, um, two saints who were faithful. You know, I think that, you know, with Simeon, it's this fascinating story of this old prophet who basically was told that, you know, you will not die until you see the light of the world, you know, and to think about when I think about Jesus, I only think about Jesus as Jesus savior, Jesus adult. So Christmas is really a good time to think about the vulnerability of God, you know, coming in the form of a baby, but just think about Simeon and Anna and so many people in our, our communities who've been so faithful for longer than I've been alive, right? For decades and waiting on that promise. And when he gets to hold, you know, the baby Jesus, the Messiah, the savior of the world, 
um, God, the Spirit speaks to his heart and he's able to see this, this, this is a consolation of Israel, but it's also the light for the Gentile world as well. And, and, uh, and, and Anna, I think, is fascinating too because she's not, you know, a pastor. She's not a priest. She's not like a highborn. You know, she's the faithful follower of God who goes to the temple every day. And I love that when she sees Jesus, it's almost like it was a shock and a surprise to her, but it was right on time for God, right? Like she was just doing what she did every day. You know, like that was like her normal every day. And I just, I, that, that always makes me excited to think about that. Like God, we know God shows up, right? But imagine God showing up that way. You know, she's just going to pray. She's been a widow all these years. She's faithful. And she shows up and it's like, oh, whoa, that's what wow, he's here, you know? And I just think that's really, really fascinating. And, and I think for me in a personal example, every Christmas Eve at our church, um, we have like a candlelight ceremony. And literally we take kind of the Matthew 5 and, you know, what John says about the light of the world. But we also kind of combine what John says in First John with the true light is already shining. So we start off with one candle and we literally pass the light to each other. And then the whole room you see light up. And I think that's what we're called to do into the world. You know, we're not called to hold our light, you know, by ourselves, right? Because light not only shines in, in dark, light is more powerful with more light, you know? So it's the idea of us coming together, giving the light, receiving the light, being the light. Um, so that's some of the things I'm thinking about this holiday season or this Christmas season. I love that, Hank. Uh, Derek, what is your reflection this Christmas? We love decorating for Christmas. We love spending time together um, as a family. But but something that we do every single year, we have this tradition where we memorize um, Luke 2. And uh, we have little scripture verses that we put up on our, um, like a mirror in our front room. And every night we add to it um, and we, we sort of chant it, you know, and the kids go, Luke 2. At that time, Augustus Caesar sent an order that all people, and we have this sort of chant, sing songy thing. We go through the whole chapter, memorize the whole thing. And every, you know, we get to the part in where it says, you know, Jesus the Messiah, and the kids all cheer, yeah, you know, and it's a treasure every single year. And like having my kids, since they were little, spinning around or jumping up and down and saying scripture year after year and getting that embedded in their heads, getting it embedded in their hearts that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one sent from God to rescue us from our sin and from ourselves. And that is light. You know, that is hope, that is joy, that we have life everlasting with God and, and putting the beautiful magic of Christmas you know, and children and Christmas decorations, infusing it with the gospel and the joyous, ruckus sounds of my children uh, reading the word of God really does fill my heart with joy uh, every year. But it's also really loud. So it fills our home with lots of noise. <laughs> well, I'm going to I'm going to echo everyone's sentiments. I mean, look at that simple idea of a light and how different everyone's reflection of light is. And that's the beauty of this show. And I was going a little bit further off of Jenny's verse. I know I made the topic of light, but I'm going to go to salt because I kind of like, you know, when people say you're salty, sometimes that's not a good connotation. But I think I think we need to change the meaning of the word salt. If you're being salty, yeah. you're, you're spicing it up. Yeah, that's and right. That's what we're supposed to do, right? So Spice it up this Christmas. Let's go. But in the new year, make be some salt. Get salty. That's what I have to say. This <laughs> Can we make it our hashtag, Joe, for our, our for full life? Hashtag. We live the full life. Get salty. That's right. Get salty. So, Derek, we're going to say have a Merry Christmas with that family. Thank you for sharing your music with us. And I'm sure we will see you again soon. Remember to get that album 
and have a wonderful holiday, Derek. Thanks, guys. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Derek. Take care. I actually went back and looked up what the Greek uh, meaning of the word light is. And the Greek word is phos, P-H-O-S. And that word means to actually emanate light, to be the light. So when Jesus says throughout John that I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will follow light and not darkness, he really is saying that he embodies light and goodness and clarity and all that is holy and all that um, God God has sanctioned as good. And so you see, even in the beginning of the Bible, how the Lord, um, he makes this um, distinction between what is light and what is good and what is darkness and what is evil. And then for him to fulfill that promise in the New Testament with, with Jesus and in the gospels. And we know that following Jesus provides clarity and it provides goodness. And even the birth of Jesus, beginning with um, with following the star to, to where he he was born in, in Bethlehem. I just think about all the ways that light and how Jesus embodies that light and how that light is meant for us to follow. And then it's actually in 1 John, he says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light and we enjoy fellowship with one another, that it is by the blood of Jesus that he purifies us of our sin. And so I just think about that this holiday season, this Christmas season, that when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we are actually celebrating when light came into the world to give us clarity, to give us a way in order to follow him and to, and to experience the fullness of Jesus on um, this side of eternity and into, into heaven. So I pray that that would encourage you this season and I wish you all the, the best as you celebrate the birth of our Savior and time with your family. Well, certainly someone who has been a salt and light in his community is our next guest. So let me go ahead and introduce him now. Born in Nashville and raised in a small town next to the city, Papa Joe Bradford grew up in extreme poverty. Early in life, Papa Joe had to overcome the separation of his parents and incarceration to become a devoted husband, a father of nine, and a papa to so many more through his ministry, Elijah's Heart, and a self-proclaimed Bible nerd, which we love here on the show. His life story was the subject of a 2012 feature film, Unconditional, Please welcome Papa Joe Bradford. Hey, Joseph. I'm really glad to be here, guys. <laughs> we're, we're, we're happy to have you and, and celebrate the Christmas season with you, but also to really shine a light on this wonderful example you've been for so many years, for so many. Love is my thing above everything <laughs> else. <laughs> After reading your book, I do know that. And so I want to tell other people about that book now. So it's called Love or War, Choose Love. And you really give a lot of practical strategies about how to walk in this love every day. And you identify a, a, a lot of a really great practical uh, applications for people. But before we go into the book, can you tell people more about your incredible life story? Uh, in the early 80s, uh, Joseph, I was uh, an honor student at UT in Knoxville uh, in engineering. At the point of graduating, I, I had a job waiting on me at IBM by day. I tutored three programming languages, but by night, I was one of the original computer hackers. And um, on the dare, I was uh, asked to uh, hack into a bank. And uh, unfortunately, I, I did it. it. It wasn't for the money. Was, I took $200 actually of a friend's money. He knew I was doing it. So it wasn't about the money. It was about pride. 
But let's just say the judge didn't like it. And so I had to I had to do time, you know, in uh, in prison. And when I got out, um, I met my wife and I lost both my kidneys. I was on a dialysis machine for nine hours a day, uh, you know, for about uh, a year and a half. My wife and I moved into uh, what you would call the projects. And there is when uh, things started taking off in ministry. The first day there, a deaf girl comes to our door. My wife gives her a piece of candy. We found out there were 50 children living on our street. So what happens, Joseph, when you give one child a piece of candy? They all come running. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how we started in ministry, man. We had been... uh, worship leaders for children for several years. But we started making, we made a choir out of these kids right there in the projects and it expanded. We, we were picking up kids from seven inner city communities in Nashville, Tennessee with this choir. And it just, things just, just went from there. We started a food program. We now have the largest door-to-door hunger relief program in Nashville feeding, I don't know, anywhere from seven to 10,000 people a month. And so you know, God just opened up a big door for us to uh, serve people, man. Amen. I hear your stories. That's the stuff that gets me going. Like you got, you started a choir with these kids. My gosh. I mean, and just even, I got to say the title of your book. I think we all need to just sit on that title for a minute. Love or war. I mean, couldn't we just sit there for a while, guys? I mean, love or war. Isn't that what we've kind of talked about on and off throughout this year in during the pandemic, during the elections? Love or war. What are you going to choose? choose to rejoice, make a choice to rejoice. We have a choice. And that's what I love about, you know, your title, choose, choose love. We can choose love. One of the things the book centers, uh, talks about is the important biblical number seven or in Hebrew, Sheva, uh, Sheva, seven whales, such an important number. Um, Obviously Shabbat, seven, the seventh day. Can you give us a summary though of the seven doors of love versus the seven doors of sin that you detail in your book. And then tell us how you structured the book to help readers use it practically, not just theoretically, but how we can practically use this. Well, yes, uh, when I was growing up, my favorite game show was Let's Make a Deal. And uh, behind door number one, you might see a brand new car. Does he know? Okay. <laughs> Does he know? No, I don't, what, what's up? You, uh, my other job when I'm not on this show is I work on Let's Make a Deal. Well, you don't. <laughs> yes, I do. You might get this guy on the show, Joe. Well, you know, behind door number one, you might have a new car, right? Behind door number two might be a goat with a saddle on it. <laughs> but the thing about it, you have to guess which door, right? Well, um, I believe that, you know, love is the one thing that God said does not fail. And so I use door analogies. There are seven different uh, door analogies. And I, I just researched this literally for 20 years. I wanted to know, Lord, show me what love is so I can learn myself because I messed up so much. And, you know, I can share this with other people. Well, one of them is humility versus pride. Another one is, is um, purity versus holotry. Now, holotry is lust and greed. The third one is faith versus unbelief. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? So what is faith? What is unbelief? How do I practice faith? The fourth one is unity versus discord. You know, God wants us to be one, to walk together in oneness. So what are those two things? How do we practice unity? And when I say practice, I mean, this is an accountability thing where you're not doing this alone. 
you're doing with Holy Spirit, but you're also doing with friends and family. So you have an accountability system. Now, the uh, the fifth thing is liberty versus legalism. Now, that's a tricky one. Now, legalism, some people call it the spirit of religion. OK, I've done something in a routine so much. I think it's right no matter how long I do it. But, you know, God believes he changes things up on us, guys. And so we need to listen to God, you know, for those changes. OK, now the uh, sixth thing is trust in God versus idolatry. Now, idolatry is putting your dependence on anything other than God. So what is the difference? How to uh, practice trusting in God? Now, I say trust versus faith now. It's, it's kind of different. Faith without works is dead. Trust is a different thing. Trust is like, God, I might not even know what to do. I might just have to just stand still and watch the glory of the Lord. Okay? That's what it means to trust in something. Now, the last and the seventh one is life versus death. Now, this isn't a physical death. No, this is like a spiritual, emotional death that involves uh, depression, isolation, and things like that, even things that lead to suicide. What is the difference in life and death, and how do I practice life in my daily life? And so th those are the seven analogies that I discuss in this book, guys. I, I would love for you just to take us a little bit deeper. You talk about the difference between the door of the door of pride and mm -hmm. the door of humility. And yes. how do you practice that and it still be real? Uh, to me, the foundation of love begins with humility. We're supposed to practice, you know, what Jesus, Jesus was, he humbled himself even to the cross. And so with, hu with humility, it's like, I need James 4 verse 6. I need that grace that God can give to me. He sets himself against pride and pride goes before destruction. And so how in the world do I, do I practice this? First of all, humility to me is a power tool. You know, I, I, I'm not very good at fixing things. You know, we've got women on my, our ministry team that can fix things much better than me. No male chauvinism here, guys. It's just that I can't fix things and women come and do it for me. And so, you know, I have no shame in that. And so that's what humility is. And so how do I even practice humility? What is humility? First of all, if you're a humble person, it, it'll keep you from even getting angry. If, if I have pride, I'm focused on myself. And so I'm easily ticked off. But if I'm humble, God gives me the grace to say, look, I'm going to overlook an insult. I'm going to uh, be courteous. You know, my grandmother taught, taught me to be a gentleman. You know, I'm old school. But sometimes I think we should all be old school. When I started writing this book, I began to open the door for ladies. You know, at, at first I would just walk through the door in the crowd. I didn't care. I'm just going to go through the door because I didn't think about it. And then when I was writing this book, look, I need to start being courteous. And I know this, how important that was to the ladies. Uh, and another thing, I polled married people, married couples and asked them, how many of you have actually said thank you to your spouse this week? You would be very surprised <laughs> to hear that answer. And another poll was this, how many of you actually said, I apologize? Oh, my God. That one was even lower. It takes a humble person to do that. But when you do it, God starts cleansing your heart of that mess in there. And you begin to become like Jesus, which is our goal. I don't mean to preach, guys. No, that's wonderful. No, that's wonderful. <laughs> We're going to ask you to keep preaching. 
Now we're going to ask you to keep preaching. In your book, you um, you talk about this, and you've already kind of hinted at some of these doors, but you talk about the door of harlotry versus purity. And yes. I think that's interesting because whenever, especially in Christian circles, we hear purity, we think about sexual purity, which is you know very sacred to God. But what 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 it sounds like in the book is you talk about other forms of harlotry, whether it's yes. distraction or greed. Can you yes. explain a little bit about that? Expound on these other areas of harlotry and, and then speak on the path to the door of purity for us. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, it defines harlotry as lust and greed. And lust is the sexual connotation of harlotry. Of course, greed has to do a physical thing like, like gambling or, or I just can't get enough scavengerism. And so that, that's where we get the holotry from. And so with the purity, uh, we actually uh, teach in there just biblical standards and practical ways to practice purity. Like one of the really big things are boundaries. Yeah. In an accountability system, you know, we, we need to have boundaries. I have four boys, but I also have four girls. And it's like, you know, as a father, whether it's a boy or the girl, you know, you need to have boundaries, you know, with, with those of the opposite sex. And you know, what if my son has a challenge with pornography and, and he just, you know, it's just overcoming. He can't help himself. I want to make an agreement with him first that this is wrong. He needs to know that this is wrong and what's right. And I'm going to get on his computer. I'm going to put in some uh a stop system where he can get to it. And I'm going to you know, connect him with other young men who are walking through this and young men who have been through this and succeeded. So I wanna get someone who's been through that military minefield of, of lust and pornography and connect them to those who need help in that way. And so yeah, accountability and practices like this that actually work, that have been proven to work, is what we point people to and make sure that they can do this. Who named you Papa Joe first? Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> well, um, when we first moved into the inner city community, um, you know, it was violent in the area, I have to say that. Our oldest daughter was in the first grade. I would walk her to class, to school, and her best friend, another little girl in the first grade, her uh, best friend and her best friend's dad would walk with us. So the four of us would walk to and from, from school together. One day on the way home, uh, Jenny, uh, this little girl and her dad took a different route. Later that day, she came, came to our house. She said, Mr. Joe, Mr. Joe, I just saw my dad get beaten to death in front of me. Now, this is literal. This little girl, dad was beaten to death, my friend. And so there was an introduction into the violence in inner city America. My wife and I were asked to do uh, to train a choir in another area of Nashville. It was about 60 children. And it was going to be uh, for a concert at the famous Ramen Auditorium. Okay, these were inner city kids too. So on a Saturday morning, this 12-year-old girl comes in late for practice. She had been beaten actually by her mother. Her face was swollen. The, girl, the girl's face was swollen. And so we prayed for the little girl and I put the other kids over there just to eat lunch. OK, like I said, about 59 other children. Well, this 12 year old girl's little sister comes to my left side and says, will you be my dad? I'm thinking the girl's kidding me, you know, just playing with me. Well, the little girl's best friend comes to my right side and says, will you be my dad? 
Well, in, in the country, they, they use the word cahoots. Y'all know what cahoots means? <laughs> it means you're doing something together, right? You're in <laughs> I'm thinking that y'all know I'm country now, right? I'm thinking they're in cahoots, but they're not. Well, this set off a chain reaction, Jenny. Before I knew it, there were 30 to 40 children surrounding me saying, will you be my dad? Will you be my dad? Will you be my dad? They didn't ask me for my qualifications. They didn't ask me if I'd been to prison or not. They just saw me showing love to this child, all these fatherless children. I went home that night and I believed that God changed my name to Papa Joe. And so for years, almost two decades, that's been my name, Papa Joe. And I'm going to call you Papa Joe because you earned that name. That, you know, I wasn't intending to ask you that, but I just had to know. I, I had a feeling there was a story behind that name. And um, I do want to ask you about something you had mentioned before when you mentioned all those doors. There's one that really jumped out to me, which was the door of faith, uh, faith Sorry, versus unbelief. <laughs> Speak about what unbelief does to our hearts. In Hebrews 11 and 6, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And most people only quote that part of that scripture. But there's, there's actually a because in there. Because anyone that comes before the Lord must believe that he exists. Right. And he rewards those. Yes. You know, so, so believing that God exists has a lot to do with faith. Okay. Well, unbelief, first of all, it takes away the ability to realize the presence of God. And when you, when you go to atheism, it takes away the ability to even believe that God exists, period. It, it makes me not see the light of Christ. It makes me walk around in carnal vision. And nobody wants, wants to walk around in carnal vision. We need to be, I, I believe that God is infinitely smarter than I am. And, but understand, faith without works is dead. And those works are deeds of obedience. So it's like, in my spirit, speak to my heart, heart, Lord, so that I know what you want me to do. But then I need to move out on it because just hearing isn't, isn't enough. That's why in my book, it's, it's a practice of love so it can become your nature because just hearing it, nothing's going to happen. It's like, I think in the word it says, it's like looking at yourself in a mirror and walking away and forgetting what you look like. Okay. Well, see, with faith, it's like, I want to practice. I got to move out on what God has told me to do. And he's already told me to do it. He's already made provision for it to happen. So the more I practice it, the more I'm going to experience the power of God moving. And so I'm hoping this helps a little bit here, uh, Jenny. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm going to keep the ball rolling a little bit. So one of the things we notice within our families, our churches, and the country as a whole is just a, a lot of um, discord, like all around us. In the book, you do talk about kind of the door of unity versus the door of, of discord. So I wonder yeah. if you can now share maybe those seven categories of discord um, and maybe the things and actions that go along with them. Um, but then let's end on a good note. Right? Let's talk about the qualities of unity. In Isaiah chapter 27, verse 1, you'll see a character named Leviathan. And if you live during that time period, <clears throat> you would know that Leviathan was the little G God of chaos, which is actually discord all around you. And so it's contention, you know, backbiting. In uh, Proverbs uh, chapter six, there's, there's six things, yea, seven, it says, you know, that, that God hates. And when you go there and see those things, you know, there's a lying tongue, feet uh, swift and running to evil, you know, hands that shed innocent blood, things like that are actually are the foundation 
of discord. In a lot of Bible translations, you will see the caption actually says discord. And so there, you know, if you just study those, those, those seven things, you can see, gosh, I don't need to be doing this because when I do, it's just going to cause, you know, trouble, not just with me, but with other people. One of the biggest areas of discord is gossip. Now, most people don't even know they're gossiping. They think they're just telling the story. Gossiping, you know, can separate close friends because one of the things is the truth doesn't come from person one all the way down to person number 20. OK. And so, yeah, those are types of things that cause discord and uh, betrayal and, you know, that puts a wall between us. And so with unity, you know, Jesus prayed to the father that, that they be one. And so well, how do we how do we become one? There's so much prejudice in our country with our hunger relief program, Jenny. It's called the walk of love. When you come out to the Walk of Love, just like Saturday, for example, this past Saturday, we gave food to about 400 families. We literally take food door to door to an entire community. And it goes up to almost a thousand families sometimes. And you don't know what colors what because people just loving on each other. I think the volunteers get more out of it than people who are actually receiving it. And so I'm using this as an example of unity because we purposely set up events and dynamics like this to show people that the umbrella of love unites us all. You know, Papa Joe, it's actually what my my father was a homeless man mm. and it was a meal. Somebody offered him a meal. A simple meal. Yeah. And my daddy went to church and heard the first time that Jesus loved him. And it changed our family's life. I mean, it broke curses. It just did everything. And so what you're doing is just so powerful. And I, I just want to just honor you for that. Um, you wrote this book as a tool to expand God's love and express and our expressions of love for the world. But, you know, I want you to talk a little bit about Elijah's house because I know you founded it in 2005. And I think you're going to inspire a whole bunch of us to get that Elijah's heart that we can do yeah. it right where we are too. Yeah, with, with Elijah's heart, we took the name from the last two verses of the Old Testament, <clears throat> where the Lord is basically saying, he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the estranged children and the estranged children to the fathers. And so this isn't necessarily a physical fatherhood. We're talking about a, a surrogate parenthood. This is a, there's millions of people uh, children without fathers. And, you know, if, you, if you're in psychology, you know, uh, the vast majority of the issues that people have that have major issues can, you know, reflect back on fatherlessness. And, um, you know, and I think it points to God the Father. You know, we need to know, everyone needs to know God the Father, you know, above everything else. Jesus came to point us to God the Father. And so uh, Elijah's heart has to do with showing love to the least of these, uh, whether your family or not. And so um, Matthew 25, 35, where Jesus names six things that basically it shows that if you have love in your heart, you would do these types of things. I was hungry. I was thirsty. Okay. I was without clothes. You know, I was sick. And it's six of those things that kind of show these are signs that you, that you are showing, you are showing love. And so our organization is a practical way that you can join in love. And uh, our, my movie, Unconditional, 
It reached 121 countries, y'all. Our organization is just like what you see in that movie. We at the Walk of Love, we have a website just with the Walk of Love, walkofloveclub.com. That basically shows people, look, this is how we do what we do. And it can be a cookie cutter. You can do this in your own community. You can show love to people in this way. And so that's kind of the, the background of, of uh, Elijah's heart and the Walk of Love program. <laughs> There's very few people that are doing what you do in that community on such a scale. And so on this wonderful holiday of giving that we celebrate so much in Christmas. It feels so appropriate that you are you are here and being this example of giving for everyone. So thank you so much, everyone. There is so much more in that book that we didn't even cover today, but it is again going to make a wonderful Christmas gift. So choose love and put love in your stockings. Put love underneath the tree and get and get Papa Joe's book. Where can they get the book, Papa Joe? To uh, find a copy of my book or find out about online classes that I'm going to be doing, go to papajoe.org, that's P-A-P-A-J-O-E.org. There's a book and a workbook. So I, I put a workbook in it so you can have a family study or a group study with this thing too. You can go straight to Amazon and find the book and the workbook. And can we encourage people to see this film? I was just looking up the yes. film. 98% of people that watch this movie like this movie. I had to look it up. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a high score. IMDb gives it a high score. I'm just, so that's that's hard to come by. But please just, just go, I put a free copy up there, Unconditional Papa that's Joe cool. on YouTube. We do one movie a month at our church. So we're gonna include this in our rotation, but it's easy to find. I Googled it while you were talking, I had to. That's awesome. So. Thank you again, Papa Joe. Uh, I hope that your example really inspires so many this holiday and into the new year to just give and be an outpouring, an outward example of God's love in all of their communities. And uh, we just pray for your ministry and we pray for it to continue to thrive. And thank you for being that example for us. Thank you, guys. I enjoyed being on your show. We need to be reminded this Christmas season that Jesus came to love us and care for us because we're created in God's image. So we need to be kinder to ourselves and know that also at the same time, because of that, we can also be kind and respectful to others this Christmas season. What an amazing light that would be in our divisive world today is we can put a dent in the divisiveness and uh, the brokenness in our world today where people are disagreeing and viewing each other wrongly by being kind to ourselves and by being kind to others this Christmas season. Why? Because Jesus was kind to us when he died on the cross for our sin and resurrected from the dead. And it first began with his humble birth in a manger. Throughout the show, we've been saying hi through videos of Lots of friends who have been with us all year long, all season long. And one of them wanted to drop by with us. And of course, we know him. We love him. Let's bring him on. Hello, Jerome. Hey, Joseph. Hey, guys. <laughs> hey, Jerome. So, of course, if you remember, Jerome is a producer and a spoken word artist and a poet. He has a book of poetry out. And he debuted a lot of his spoken word from earlier this year. Um, again, really good Christmas gifts for the for, for people who love poetry. That's all I'm saying. Uh, but and he also guest co-hosted with us one episode. So I'm so happy you're here with us. 
for Christmas. Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Happy early holidays. <laughs> yes. So we were all talking about the concept of light. What is comes to your mind? What are you reflecting on? And uh, right, right when you said that, uh, it made me think about my favorite scripture, the scripture that I think really was transformational in my transformation, which is uh, Jeremiah 29 and 13. Uh, Seek me with your whole heart and you will find. And in a, in a, a very common scripture that is, uh, you know, for I know the, the plans I have for you in 29 and 11, a lot of people know that. And it's an inspiring scripture. But for me, that seek me with your whole heart is so, uh, so moving to me because it's a promise. You know, when you are in a dark place or if you're on a dark road and you see a light down down the road, you, you have this sense of security, this sense of peace. Like, oh, OK, I can make it to my destination. I just keep going a little bit longer. Mm. So so when I when I think about light, I think about that scripture and it and it's and, and being a light this holiday season, so many people have so many uh things that they're dealing with emotionally. This time is triggering for a lot of people. A lot of people have lost loved ones. A lot of people have had as we know, we've had an up and down year. I try to be sensitive to those things during during these holidays, but also try to observe the culture and in the upbeat spirit of people and, and match that and not not detract that because who knows how hard it was for people to even find that sense of joy and happiness and freedom mm. how have you changed in the last you know 18 plus months that you know we've been going through quite an unprecedented time in a lot of ways at least in our lifetimes well i had thought about <clears throat> how the show changed me because uh, uh, we kind of you, you can know, talk about that about that but actually i want to say yeah, two things real quick. One, for the show, I will say it's opened my eyes to so many different perspectives. Um, you know, father, uh, was it Father Frankie? Oh, yes. You know, just like, and, and just like hearing, you know, him and just so many other people, like just hearing this anointed priest, man of God that just like totally rocked me and, and so many other guests that we have. So seeing different people's perspectives, different coming from different areas of their faith and walks of life has been wonderful. But the other thing really that changed me this year, um, I said to my congregation last night, we were all together and we were talking about how we're having a transition with our worship and right now we're without a worship leader. And I said, in the past, that would have freaked me out. I said, COVID, because of COVID, like I just don't trip anymore. That was literally what I said. I said, I just don't trip anymore. Like, I don't get like freaked out where if things aren't gonna be perfect, if it's not gonna be the way I think it should be, Okay, I mean, that doesn't mean I don't strive for excellence. That doesn't mean I still don't desire that. But stuff really used to like sideline me where mm -hmm. now I'm like, that's good. I mean, if we have to play, if we have to do service with a recording put in the background and our hearts are there, Carolyn and I were actually having a conversation about this a few weeks ago. Um, and God is there, that's good. I think for me, the biggest change has been um, just my capacity um, for patience, um, mm. for love, um, for compassion. I think that as hard as this season has been, there's been a lot of life altering things outside of the pandemic that have kind of really framed, um, yeah, just my line of thinking. You know, for example, something as simple as, you know, I grew up going to church. So when you don't go to church, you learn to value church, you know? you know? A lot of people are talking about division in churches and communities and families, and we haven't really experienced that, and that's been a blessing. 
Um, my family, which is spread over all over the world, um, kind of went through some tragedy through this pandemic as well, uh, but we remained united. But I think the biggest change for me has just been like, um, just God giving me eyes to not only see where he's working, where he's moving, but I feel like I just have a, a, a deeper understanding of the struggles our people are going through. Um, and I think the forced slowdown has forced me to kind of walk alongside people who maybe in the past, if things are so busy, I would have been like, oh, you should go do this and work with this person and this person will walk with you. Um, but just walking with people, you know, I think that's really expanded. I, I've learned way more about mental illness than I've wanted to learn. I've learned mm -hmm. way more about how many of our people are really just one paycheck away um, from being in severe financial, um, maybe not ruin, but definitely pain. Um, and I've learned how we're all one breath away from a bad health report, you know? So all those things I think have really uh, forced me to kind of um, focus on the day, be thankful for yesterday and grateful that we have God in our community around us. So that's just some of the ways I think I've, I've grown hopefully, um, but also changed. Man, Carolyn. I, I guess I, first of all, just got to say, I'm so thankful for this show because when all that happened, it was so great that I had you guys every week to look forward to seeing and being with and just our conversations, the encouragement, just the camaraderie. I mean, Hank, we're teasing about it, but it really did feel like we became a family that when we take a little bit of time apart, I find that I miss, I miss just this camaraderie that we have just to mm -hmm. talk and, and iron sharpening iron. And I, I learned so much from each of you. So I was really thankful this year just for, for that togethership. In first Peter, it talks about a faith that is more precious than gold. And I think that is so powerful that we live in a day and age where we put so much of our faith in our job, in that uh, weekly paycheck, in that we can just run to a grocery store, in that we have gas in our tanks. And what I'm learning is if all of that was gone and I keep my faith, I have everything that I need. But I think that through all this, that we've really learned how important our faith is, how important our relationship with God is, and really learning that we can trust him bar none. He is enough. Jesus plus nothing still equals everything. And I think we get in a society today that is so much that, let me just be honest. I'm going to lay it out here, man. I was just in my prayer time this week and I heard the Lord speak to me, my heart, not audibly to my heart, but he said, Carolyn, you're so looking for a faith that is independent of needing to trust me. But I'm asking you to have a faith that is dependent completely on trusting me. And I think that's what he's asking all of us as Christ followers is, is just to dive in and to trust him like we never have with every day. It's that daily walk of faith that for our very breath, for the food that's on our table, for the, the person that he puts in front of us to minister to, for, for our joy, for our peace. I, I just feel like that's what he's in the middle of just really teaching me is, trust me completely. And then I'll ask Jerome as a new full life family member, how has the last year and a half changed? Before this time of the pandemic, I had just went through a, a long, long season of really an isolation period with, with God. Uh, kind of liken it to something like Holy Spirit University, right? I was just like, that's what I learned what God's voice is like. That's when I really um, learned about myself, learned about my emotions, and and just dealt with a lot of things these last few years being alone. So now that everybody is forced to be alone, it, early on it was, oh, I just felt like, ah, oh, well, I have a leg up, you know, I, I, I've been doing this for, for how long? And then 
over time, it was like, oh, wow, you know, this is kind of draining on me, you know, and, and it made me realize, um, for one, also how much of the same that we all are. It, it is it is really broken down a lot of barriers that we could feel like separated us. You know, anybody in any country at a point you were, you know, your your livelihood was dictated by this pandemic. And that was the first thing that I had witnessed in my life where everybody was completely unified on something, whether it be negative or positive. So that showed me that for one, that there's hope for God's people, that we can connect in some way. I think that we can be very busy as humans sometimes, and we can be so busy that we um, are running away a lot of times of what we should take care of. And I think the pandemic kind of forced us all to look at look at ourselves. And, and for one, you know, help me not take myself too seriously. Help me, uh, you know, like my wife tells me to pipe down, you know, just let me let me just pipe down a little bit and um, and, and, and just kind of smell the roses and be present. I have a reflection that is is centered a lot on the show, because I will say that going into the pandemic, I mean, I've had the dream of doing this. I've mentioned this before on the show, and we finally got to do it during the pandemic. But what I did not expect was that, you know, I kind of, I always knew my faith and I kind of felt it. And I, 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 I thought that I knew what I knew in my faith. But what I have learned in doing this show with all of you and meeting the people that we've learned, it's just been such a confirmation of, of my faith and such a confirmation of how enrooted it is and how wonderful that feels. And so I can really be confident in that because we have these conversations all the time, because we go into depth, because we take on topics that are real and are challenging to people in the world. I mean, it makes faith so real and so vibrant. To be a bright light like that star on the night of Jesus' birth, I think the best thing you can do is be emotionally stable for the world. There is plenty of dysfunction going on in our society today. And if we can be some of those people who respond with flexible ways of reacting to people instead of just emotionally doing the next thing that comes to our mind, we are going to help other people's nervous systems to regulate as well because our nervous systems react to each other. One tool that I like to use personally, and I teach all my clients this, is orienting. Orienting is simply using your senses here in the present moment to send the message back to your brain that you're totally safe. So looking around the room you're in, notice five objects that you can see and four things you can touch. things that you can hear and two things that you can smell and one thing you can taste. Then take it the extra step and just tune in spiritually however that resonates with you. For me, it's just reminding myself that the Lord is here right now in this moment. That's always so comforting. So practice this tool every day. Even when you're going for walks, you can just look around and listen. And that will help your nervous system to settle. Just notice how you're feeling inside now. And practice this. You can do it. 
you can go be that bright light, but you got to be regulated. So stay regulated and have a happy holiday season. Merry Christmas. We have one more very special announcement we need to make. Go ahead, Steve. Hey, everyone. How are you? Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Well, I got to tell you, although it's it's kind of interesting, most people are used to the nightmare before Christmas. I actually got the miracle before Halloween. Uh, we got a call <laughs> from our adoption lawyer that after all this time, our first foster child, Ray, has now become a permanent part of our family. <laughs> Thank you. So we're so excited. Steve, I'm going I call him dad every time I can now because he <laughs> because it, it's it's official. It's official. Not that he wasn't before, but now it is he 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 has a son. Oh, congratulations. We wanted to celebrate with you here because we've been with your journey. Of course, that was prolonged from by the pandemic as well. It's usually mm -hmm. a shorter journey. So he was just uh, a, a very patient, wonderful foster father wading through that whole process uh and and it was so worth it because now you have a beautiful boy that will be with you for the rest of your life yep yep looking forward to it i i don't know if he is but we'll see <laughs> <laughs> we're really blessed to have him so indeed and they he's blessed to have you as are your other two foster children so Well, I don't think we could have fit anything more into this show. We definitely had quite a finale. Thank you so much for taking this whole ride of this season with us. And we hope we will be back in the new year, uh, bigger, better, and more exciting than ever before. Um, but please continue to have these conversations in your life. Continue striving to live in the abundance and fullness that God wants you to have. Uh, it, this Christmas holiday with your families and with your example into the world. That's all we ever want here on this show. And we will see you in the new year. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we'll see you next year on The Full Life.